0: Who, um... okay. So, if with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? These are the opening words from this morning's reading of 1 Peter, chapter 3, 13, that Annie read for us. It seems to me. But people who have their heart and soul into doing good deeply inside really believe that. If with heart and soul you're doing good, you can't be stopped. But what about when two groups who believe in heart and soul that what they are both doing is good and oppose one another? In the history of our country, no tragedy, no tragedy underscores the good versus good belief carried to Bellum more than the Civil War of eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five. In that war, as you all know, eleven Southern states declared their secession from the United States of America, and they formed the Confederate States of America. You also know that the U.S. federal government was supported by 20 northern states and five border states, and these 25 became known as the Union and the Confederacy, good versus good, 11 versus 25. All believed in their hearts and souls that they were doing good, they were being righteous, fighting for their good way of life. And so they fought each other's goodness. They fought it, and in a way, that paid with the lives of 620,000 soldiers and an unknown number of civilian casualties. It remains the deadliest and the bloodiest war in American history. Ten percent of all the males in the northern states between the ages of 20 and 45 died during those four years. 30% of all the southern males between 18 and 40 died in those years. And women and children were fighting as well but then as too often still now they're not brought into the statistics. And then it was over and the reconstruction of the United States of America began. And it continues today, 146 years later. The difficulty of living together, sharing a nation with opposing points of view, became face-to-face then, still comes face-to-face today. On this Memorial Day weekend, we remember the losses of all those and their families who have ever served or served now. And we hold them in prayer and gratitude for their sacrifices. And we remember that we still haven't quite figured out how to get along. We have to remember that too. So what on earth was Peter talking about? If with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Then he adds, even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Well, that's a preacher talking. Peter's a preacher. In the hymn, there is a bombing Gilead. It says, if you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, he's a preacher, and he's preaching. But who's listening? Who's listening today? Who's remembering? You know, following wars, what's one of the first things you do? This is the part where audience participation comes in. What's the, one of the first things you do following a war? You memorialize the people that you lost. You honor the fallen, the forgotten. We memorialize. We do our best to preserve the memory of those we do not want to forget lest we take our lives for granted and repeat the mistakes of the past at terrible, unnecessary expense. The unacceptable expense, the unacceptable cost of inhumanity's treatment to one another. And let our prayer today be that war is no more. And let us remember that if warring worked, we wouldn't still be at war in all of the places around the globe in which we are at war. You know, and I'm not going to get into when and if there are such things as, quote-unquote, a just war today. There are, that is a topic for another day. It is a reflection of when and if a war is just. But today, the work of peace cannot rely on the scourges of war. Period. Nor should war be acceptable as collateral damage in the pursuit of such goals. Period. The work of today is to end wars, which means we have to find a way to figure out things without fighting. Peter goes on, If with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Keep your heart at attention in adoration before Christ, the one who is Lord. Keep your heart in adoration before God if you know God in a different way. Now, I have known something for quite a while. Whenever I do Bible quotes and scriptures, I've known this for quite a while. There is little benefit in any debates about Bible passages. Boom. And that may be because... It was never meant as a source of proving oneself right over one interpretation or another. Debates, arguments, studies of Bible have never produced sweeping agreements across divisions. Never. They have only dug more deeply side, opposing side, into their original ideologies, applauding for each other at the end of the debate and walking out more convinced that they are right on either side with no movement toward the center. The problem with that is that we are not ideologies. We are people, sisters and brothers, working at understanding one another, and that is what changes things. Understanding one another. That is the core of the teachings of Jesus. And it begins with the understanding that we all are loved by God. Debate cares. Nothing about that. Ultimately, the purpose of debate is to diminish one side and lift up the other. To win, not to understand. Now, one would think that church folk would be pretty good at understanding, at least better than secular institutional folk. After all, that is the message of Peter, keeping hearts at attention before Christ. It's a church message. And when this happens... When we do practice that, especially in smaller settings where the cost of acceptance of one another doesn't threaten the raison d'etre of the institutions involved, amazing things happen, miraculous things happen, and usually they are things that eliminate or begin to eliminate situations and conditions that never should have existed in the first place. It has been a struggle since the beginning, I think, seemingly from the first day outside of life in the garden. We have been in a quest for reconciliation and reconstruction that too often has been more about being right and lording over others. And I know, as I'm sure you do, about people trying to impose their sense of good and right when it is the opposite of what is actually good and right for those being opposed. For the last 15 years of my life as a Presbyterian, I have been part of a church community that I love. In that expansive community of more than 2 million members and 11,000 churches, I have been one of those marginalized by the practice of the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church USA, in excluding people who are lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, questioning from the full work and worship of the church. An amendment inserted into the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in the Book of Order, one part of the Constitution, in 1997, effectively shut the door, slammed the door, on the ordination of people who were LGBTQ, with very few exceptions. Some of us, however, made it through, because we're from the Bronx and we're slippery. We were in presbyteries where welcoming and justice was offered to all, including gay folk, in spite of the charges often brought against the ordaining bodies and the individuals involved. Still, they continued to be those who believed the church could be better, more inclusive, broadly open to the spirit in God's great and diverse creation of God's children. And they kept the faith, and many of them were right here and still are and they kept trying to change the church. Imagine that, thinking you could change the church. I agree. And so we challenged those in opposition. We brought legislation year after year to remove the offensive and violent amendment of exclusion, yet we never sought to exclude others in order to be included. We never judged our doing good better than their doing good. We kept our hearts in attention to Christ, to God, and to a vision of a church as we believed it was always meant to be. Inclusive, radically gracious, and wildly hospitable. We never saw ourselves as issues, but as living, breathing children of God and we never believed it was we who were dividing the church it was an amendment that did that and it had to go so that we could begin to heal to reconcile and reconstruct the amendment did go early this month the amendment which in part was offered by this congregation it went when the presbytery of the twin cities of minneapolis cast the vote the put the vote in favor of ratification and change of the language into the majority. And the new amendment will replace the language that was used to exclude gay people now with a welcoming language that has long been overdue. Yet, even though that new language is in place, it doesn't require anyone to do anything. At a meeting I was at last week, somebody raised their hand and said well does that mean we're going to have to start to sing gay hymns in church and they were serious and I wanted to laugh but couldn't what it does is it offers the way to ordain qualified candidates for office and leadership in the PCUSA. period and it doesn't call for a division Period. It calls for a way forward where we can live as a church with one another, with our differences, and with respect and protection of one another in faithful paths within the church. As you might imagine, not everybody sees it that way. There are those right now mobilizing the lament of a lost church in all sorts of ways. There are those whose good means that theirs is the only good with no willingness to see sisters and brothers who are different as ever being accepted by them. The vote did not immediately change the hearts of those who were in opposition any more than the end of the Civil War changed the hearts of those who days before were sighting each other over rifles and lead bullets propelled by black powder both standing on the terra firma of their own same country. Like the Civil War, the amendment in our Constitution that excluded others was wrong before it ended or was voted out of existence. And like all conflicts, one of the very first things we did at the end of each struggle was to remember the names of people who had worked so hard for the change. We memorialized those who had died long before they knew that their efforts had succeeded or were forced out of the church, shaking the dust from their sandals as they left. We remembered the wounded, the soul sick, remembered them as we should, so they would not be forgotten, and so that one day, maybe, we would avoid doing such things to one another ever again, whether in the name of country, or God, or anything else. Peter, if with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, the one who is Lord. Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. I love this. They'll end up realizing they're the ones who need the back. Fortitude, forbearance, faithfulness, can we see these things in all people who hold with their heart and soul that John's message in today's gospel is greater than our interpretations or strong arms toward one another? John's gospel. If you love me, says Jesus, show it by doing what I've told you to do. And for that, I refer us all to Matthew 22:36 through 40. May we honor the memory of others by living these words, one and all, together. That may just be the entrance to the garden, fiery cherubim stepped aside. Amen.